thankful again for this day you've given us. And Father, you know I count it a privilege. Anytime I'm asked to come behind this pulpit and preach, so thankful, Lord, for what you're doing in my life and for our church. And I just pray now, Lord, that your people will have an open heart for the message you gave me, that you would help me, Lord, to just remove myself from this message and to glorify you and your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The 119th Psalm, we're going to look at verses 9 through 16. And the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. In verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Thank you. You may be seated. So containing 176 verses, Psalm 119 is the longest single chapter in the Bible. The author of Psalm 119 is unknown, but most scholars agree that it was written by either David or Ezra. Me personally, I think it was possibly David because I could just picture him, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart, dedicating a whole chapter to the word of God. But the, both these men proposed both of these proposed men suffered serious difficulties in his life, and the writer of Psalm 119 reflects that in the description of plots, in slanders, and taunts against them, persecutions and afflictions. The persecution and affliction of the man of God is a major theme in Psalm 119. Another prominent theme in Psalm 119 is the profound truth that the word of God is all sufficient. And there are seven different terms referring to the word of God throughout the psalm, and these terms are found in the first seven verses of the chapter. And they are his law, his testimonies, his precepts, his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his word. And almost every verse of this chapter, the word of God is mentioned. I think maybe, maybe two or three verses might not mention the word of God, but it's mentioned in every single verse in this chapter. And Psalm 119 affirms not only the character of the scriptures, but it affirms that God's word reflects the very character of God himself. Notice these attributes of God that are attributed to scripture in Psalm 119. Number one, his righteousness. And let's look at verse 7. The Bible says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned of thy righteous judgments. And two, we see trustworthiness. In verse 42, let's turn to verse 42. The Bible says, so shall I, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in thy word. And three, we see truthfulness. Let's go to verse 142 of Psalm 119. Verse 142, the Bible says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Amen? So four, we see his faithfulness. And that's in verse 86. Let's turn back a page, and we see the Bible says, All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. And number five, unchangeableness. In verse 89, the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And then we see eternality. In verse 152, concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. So old and then forever, he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's eternal. And then we see number seven, light. And that's in verse 105, a familiar 
portion of, of Psalm 119, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then eight, finally, we see purity, and that's in verse 140. And we see the Bible says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. And that brings us to our first point, the psalmist purging. The psalmist purging. Let's go back to our text in verse 9. We see that the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? So the psalmist here asks a fascinating question. How can someone cleanse? How can someone purge or purify their way? And we will see in, in, in a bit that he answers this rhetorical question. Letter A, we find here that he sees that there is a concern for cleansing. And why? Well, it's because of the condition of man. We are sinners by nature, and man's greatest need is to have his sins forgiven. We need to understand the effect of sin on the lost person and on the believer. If you're lost today, Isaiah 59, 2 tells us, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So in other words, if you are lost today, it's because your sin hasn't been dealt with. You're separated from a supreme holy God because your sins have not been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mankind in general has a sin problem. And if you've been coming to this church for any long period of time, you've heard these verses before. You know that we believe that, that man has a sin problem. And Romans 5.12 is a verse that we quote regularly. And the Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all that have sinned. So we see sin is in the nature of every man and every woman. No one is exempt. It doesn't matter how good you appear to be. It doesn't matter how religious one is. It doesn't matter how good your works are. And it doesn't matter how you stack up to someone you think is worse off than you. The bottom line is found in the Bible in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we see that there is a necessity for cleansing. And then we see letter B, the candidates for cleansing. The candidates. Back to our text in verse 9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a, young, shall a young man cleanse his way? A young man. So we see here the psalmist asks specifically, how can a young man cleanse his way? And Pastor touched on this a couple weeks back, and he talked about the youth in our church. And the youth in our church is the future of our church. Amen? The devil would want nothing more than to entice or to trap a young man. The last thing he wants is a young person to get saved and live a life that's pleasing to God. We are reminded to have a relationship to God at a young age. Amen? In Ecclesiastes 12.1, the Bible says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Young people should make it a priority to get saved at a young age, at a young age, and live a life that's pleasing to God. They should do God's will for their life. Young people should make it a priority, like I said. And the youth have this energy and the zeal that someone in their later years can lack. Amen? Trust me, once I hit 40... It's been all downhill since. Like, everything hurts. Everything, you know, low energy. Like, constantly tired. So when you're young, you want to do these things while you're young. And one man said that youth is wasted on the young. Amen? So why not give the prime years of your life to the Lord and not squander it by living life for self and for this world? I mean, if I could make a, a sports analogy, sometimes players go to different teams when they're past their prime. And they have no use to that, to that team because their prime years are, are done with them. And I'm not saying that God can't use someone in their later years, but you want to make that decision at a young age to, to, to give your life to the Lord. Amen? Think of like Pedro Martinez. When he got to the Mets, he was, he was no good. He was done. Amen? <laughs> you know I was going to bother you, brother. So one should not want to go into the world and to try all it has to offer by living it for self 
and for this world, and, and you want to have this plan that you think in your head that you can get saved later on in life. That's, that's wrong. That's foolish. One, you're being presumptuous, and you never know when your time is up. Amen? The Bible tells us this in Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Now listen up, young person. Listen up to me right now. I've known people, friends that I, that I grew up in high school with that are dead today. I had a friend who died in his sleep before the age of 20. I had two friends who died in car accidents, right? I had friends who died of overdose. I had one friend in high school who was shot being at the wrong place at the wrong time and lost his life at the age of 16. So let's not boast about that. I'm young and, you know, I have my whole life ahead of me. I want to do what I'm going to do because you never know when your time is up. Kids die too. Young people die too. Old people die. That's, that's how it is. You could die in a car accident right now. I can keel over right now. You never know when your time is up. So never boast yourself of tomorrow because you never know what a day may bring forth. And then number two, we see that sin in the world never satisfies. Never satisfies. Take it from some of the, the men here who are older and who are saved. Sin never, ever satisfies. There may be pleasure in sin. There may be pleasure in it, but it's only for a season, the Bible tells us. And plus, there's no, there's no guarantee that you can escape the world's clutches once you're sucked in. So don't make that mistake thinking that you're different. And that's why he makes this appeal to the young man. The young person usually has this arrogance about them that they are invincible. They take chances when they're young. That's why, like, when, you, when I was young, I used to like going on roller coasters. But now, if I go, like, on a roller coaster, I get queasy. It's like I'm getting older. Amen? And sometimes the young people have a, a wrong idea of life, that, 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 that they're going to live forever or that they're invincible. We don't want to have that. So we need to understand this, that sin dirties, sin desecrates, sin destroys. How many marriages have been destroyed by adultery, by gambling? How many families destroyed by addiction? I know that personally in my life how my family was destroyed by addiction. Sin disrupts. It causes bitterness in relationships. Sin quenches the spirit. Sin disfigures. Sin depresses. Amen? And ultimately, sin disappoints. Solomon said he tried all the world had to offer. And I believe he said this. He said, what's all my eyes desired? I kept not from them. In other words, he tried it all, but he came to this conclusion that it was all vanity, vanity of vanities. It was empty. It was of no use. The youth should strive to be like the young godly men in the Bible, like Joseph. Amen. Joseph was a great young man. He, he, he did God's will for his life, like Daniel, the three Hebrew children, and Timothy. These were all great young men in the Bible who lived their life for the Lord at an early age. Now, let me make this crystal clear. I'm not talking about childhood evangelism. Amen. I don't want that hook to come from the, 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 up here and yank me off here. We don't believe that here. Amen? You have to be old enough to comprehend the death, the burial, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're talking about someone who understands it. And then we also see that the young men or women aren't the only ones that need cleansing. Cleansing is also for the Christian. Those of us that are saved, we are heaven-bound, our sins are forgiven, but we are still in this sin-filled world. We're not sinless, amen, we heard that this morning, but we're striving to always sin less. But there are struggles that the Christian has. There are going to be bumps in the road because of the world, because of the flesh, and the devil continues to rage against the Christian. And we see that the cleansing is the responsibility of the Christian. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So again, how does one cleanse himself? Verse 9 of our text, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And he gives the answer here, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Taking heed to God's word is how we cleanse ourselves. So we find that taking heed to God's word is what cleanses the saved man. And the Bible reveals, well, God reveals in the Bible principles for cleansing in his word. And one, we see that we are cleansed by the power and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then we see, number two, we are cleansed by confessing our sin to the Lord. Let's turn up, we'll just look down uh, two verses to verse 9. And the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we see number three, the word of God has a cleansing effect on our lives when we put it into practice. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. And the Bible says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So we get cleansed by the washing of water by the word of God. And let's turn in our Bibles to John, the Gospel of John chapter 15. John 15, we know this is the chapter where he's the true vine and verse 3 he says now ye are clean through through the word which I have spoken unto you. Amen? So number 4 we see the expectancy of the Lord's return helps motivate us to keep ourselves pure. And we saw this verse earlier today in 1 John chapter 3 let's go to 1 John chapter 3 it's important that we see these verses here. In 1 John chapter 3 in verse 2 the Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So thank the Lord that we can be cleansed by taking heed to his word. Amen? And then we see number two, our second point, is the psalmist's plea. The psalmist's plea, and let's go back to our text in Psalm 119, verse 10. The Bible says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. The psalmist here understands the importance of not being half-hearted in his quest to seek after God. The importance of seeking God with our whole heart cannot be emphasized enough. Last week, Brother Frank was talking about how the Lord gave us his son. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us his best. Amen. He didn't give us an angel. He didn't try to send some other being in his place. He came himself. He gave us his best. It's only right that we give him our best. And God does not want someone who's not wholeheartedly after him in salvation. That's why he said that you cannot have, amen, one hand on the plow and one hand looking back at the world. It's a divided heart. He's worthy of our whole heart, and God will not share our affection with another, and nor should he. Hebrews 11.6, the Bible says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. So if you're lost and you're not seeking God with your whole heart, one must question your true de- desire to be saved. And Pastor touched on this this morning. Let's look at Psalm 119 and let's look at verse 155. Verse 155. The Bible says, Psalm 119, verse 55, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. So if you're not seeking God through his word, salvation is far from you. And that's a, a bad position to be in. Amen? You have to seek. You want to be like that, that scribe in Matthew 12 who answered Christ discreetly but correctly. And he said, there is one God and to love him with all thy heart. Amen? And Jesus told him, thou art not, not far from the kingdom of God. Amen? He was not saved, but he was on the right track because he knew that what was required, that he had to seek God with his whole heart. And then let's turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. We heard this already today, but amen. Maybe God wants us to hear it twice. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. And the Bible says, And ye shall seek me and find me when, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So the person who is actively seeking God will find them, he says, when you search with the whole heart. And one way of seeking with your whole heart is by being in God's word daily. Daily you should be in in the word of God. You have to allow God's word to speak to you. Lost friend, and you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake if you're not reading or listening to God's word. I know that's what helped me in my life and, and, and helped me to, to, to get saved. By, you know, I wasn't perfect that day. I wasn't doing it every day, but I tried to make it a point to, to listen to God's word every day. I tried to listen to the Gospel of John daily. I must have listened to it like 40, 50 times. No, no exaggeration before I got saved. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, and let's go to verse 20. John 20. Sorry for all the verses, but it's important that we see this. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Like Pastor mentioned earlier today, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. One must not expect to have some sort of epiphany or, or a vision of some sort. It's, it's faith through his word. And hearing comes from the word of God. And you must seek. Verse 10 of our, of our text says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. With our whole heart have I sought thee. We know that in Revelation 3, God was not pleased by the Laodicean church because their heart was divided. They allowed themselves to kind of coast or like ease off the, the gas, if you will. If I could put it that way. They allowed themselves to cool off in their zeal. For the Lord. And in Revelation 3.15, the Bible says, I know thy works, that thou art not neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So we need the Lord to help us not to be apathetic or just to go through the motions. God wants our whole heart in seeking concerning salvation or in the believer's service to him. 
it is unacceptable to let the cares of this world, and, you know, we all have the same issues, you know, we all work, we all have family, we all have problems, but it's, 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 un, it's unacceptable to let the cares of this life, whatever they may be, to allow us to cool off in our service to the Lord. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 119. Again, Psalm 119. Let's look at the first verse 2 and verse 3. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. So we see that those who keep God's word, who keep God's word and those who seek him with the whole heart are blessed and then they are happy. Right? We've heard this before that holiness equals happiness. Amen? You know that, as I mentioned before, that sin, when you're in sin, sin is what depresses you, what, what gives you anxiety. If you're, if you're living a holy life and you're, and you're, and you're being separate, you're going to be happy. Let's go back to our text in verse 10. The Bible says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Here's the second part of the verse. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So we see here the second part of the psalmist's plea is for God not to allow him to wander from his commandments. And why do Christians wander? Because that's one of the characteristics of sheep. Amen? Sheep ultimately follow their master's word, like in John 10, 27, and we heard that again today. Amen? My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. But when we're not daily in his word, when we're not cleansing ourselves with daily devotion, how about this, not being faithful to church and allowing the preaching of the word where we are being reproved, rebuked, and exhorted, when we're not taking heed to his word, mark it down, sheep are going to wander. We don't want to, but it, 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 it is that way sometimes. Amen? Let's look at our Bibles to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's see what he says about that. Isaiah 53. Verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6, and the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Like sheep, we have gone astray. Psalm 119, 176, the last verse in that chapter says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. When we forget God's word, when we don't keep his commandments, sheep are going to wander. It's like that hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing. Amen? Come thou fount of every blessing. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we know that wandering is dangerous. It's dangerous for sheep. It's when someone is, is far from God and wandering when they are most susceptible to attacks from the devil. And just think, I mean, we, you know, we've heard these illustrations before. Like, you watch those wildlife shows that will pass as a fan of them. When you see, like, the one, I don't know who I'm talking about, a gazelle maybe, that leaves the flock, right? And he's, like, sitting by the water, and he's just, like, you know, casually just, like, drinking the water while the flock is somewhere else away. And then you see, well, this is perfect, the, the lion is hiding in the, in, in, in the shadows, hiding in the tall grass, waiting to spring an attack on that person, on that gazelle, when it's not ready. And that's what Satan does. He's an opportunist. He waits till we are most vulnerable. And that's when we are wandering from the Lord and from his commandments. We don't want to do that. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Right? Let's not be ignorant of his devices, beloved. We can't be ignorant of what the devil is. He's, he hates God. He hates us. He, you know, he wants nothing than to destroy the person. 
We also see that when the Christian is wandering is when he is most susceptible to temptation. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 8. The Bible says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. So we see here Paul is quoting from Psalm 95, and he is speaking of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. We know the story of how they were in the wilderness for, for 40 years while being stiff-necked. They were being rebellious, and you know they were full of unbelief, and they were, even became idolatrous. In verse 10, he says, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way. So we know this word to err means to go astray or is to wander. And God points out that they, that they do always err in their heart, and, that's, and that they not have... And that they have not known his ways. Israel wandered for decades in the wilderness, but it didn't have to be that way. Amen? But, you know, let me give another caveat with this, that it's, we're prone to wander. And it says here that they always err in their heart and they have not known his way. So if you're constantly in sin, and I'm not saying, you know, that you're in deep in sin, so I'm just wandering or giving an excuse for the Christian to backslide. That's not what I'm saying here. Right? If, you, if that's what's happening in your life, I mean, make your calling election short. But I'm just saying that, you know, that we are going to wander sometimes, but it shouldn't be to that, to that extent. I hope that I made that clear. <laughs> if not, I'll explain it later. But let's go back to our text in verse 10 of 119th Psalm, verse 10. The Bible says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So God knew that there would be times that we would wander or become lukewarm, if you will. This is why we Christians, we need revival in our lives. We need it multiple times. Amen? That's why Psalm 85 says, Wilt thou not revive us again? Amen? Because we're going to need it constantly. And we don't necessarily need revival conference, per se. Or we, you know, we can experience revival just through God's word. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, the conference that Brother Fryman preached. What a great conference, amen? That first Sunday when he preached, you could tell that the Spirit of God was here. People were feeling revived. That's through the preaching of God's Word. It was a buzz going around the church, and we were all talking about how great of a day that was. And that's what we need. We need revival from God's Word. Now, let's turn to Psalm 119, and let's look at verse 25. Verse 25, the Bible says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. And let's look at Psalm 119. 107, we see here, he says, the psalmist says, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. And then the final one is verse 154. It's the same page. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. So this word quicken means to make alive. We know that. And this word quicken is the same word that we use for revival. It's the, same, it's the same word. So we need to use it for revival, revival, and it's used nine times in Psalm 119. So we see that the word has a quickening effect on the indifferent heart or reviving power for the wandering sheep. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to thereto according to thy word. And that brings us to our third point. 
The psalmist's prevention. The psalmist's prevention. Let's go back to our text and let's look at verse 11. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So the psalmist here gives a great solution to preventing sin in one's life. And to no surprise, it's connected to the word of God. We can see the importance of, of God's word. It cleanses us. It cleanses our way and it prevents us from sinning. And we have to hide God's word in our hearts. Amen? We have to hide the word of God in our, in our trunk. Amen? It's not going to do us any good hiding it in our trunk. The Bible says not to hide it in our shelf, in our, in our house collecting dust. We need to hide it in our hearts. And the word hid here means to store or to treasure up. And I think of pirates when I think of treasure. Amen? And what does a pirate do with that treasure? He takes that treasure, right? It's a chest full of gold and whatever things they deem valuable, and they bury it. Right? They bury it. And why? So they can go back and get it at a later time. I mean, I think it's how pirates work, right, guys? Help me out. So they want to get it at a later time, and the word of God should be treated as a treasure, as something that we deem valuable in our lives. And we must store it and treasure it up in our hearts. So we too, like pirates, if you will, can go back at a later time and retrieve it in a time of need. If the word of God is hidden in our hearts, hearts over here, I mean, no one can steal it. Amen? No one can take it from us because we're hiding it in our heart. I mean, I remember I listened to this one message by Brother Lacey, and he said, uh, where is the word of God? That was the message. And he goes, I propose to you, it's in three places. It's in your lap, it's in heaven, and it's in your heart. Great message. So the word, can, the word hid can also mean to purposely conceal, like one would conceal a weapon. Amen? And, and the word of God, we know, is, 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 is a sword, and it's an offensive weapon that can be concealed and then brandished in a moment's notice. Picture the word of God hidden in our hearts like you put a sword in its sheath. That's what it's for. And Jesus demonstrated this when he quoted scripture to defeat the devil's temptations in the wilderness. And let's go to, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And let's see this here. Verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God. So let's pause right there for a second. Remember, the devil's an opportunist. He's going to wait till you're most vulnerable when you're wandering. Or, you know, in this case, Jesus wasn't wandering, but he was, he was a hungered. He was fasting. He thought maybe he was in a weakened condition that he might be able to get away with tempting him. And when the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for the last time, for it is written, Thou shalt worship thy Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. 
So we find here that Jesus combats the devil's temptations by quoting scripture. And he gets the devil to flee. In verse 11, he says, then the devil leaveth him. James 4, 7 says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hiding the word of God in your heart will help us to resist the devil, prevent us from sinning again, and will help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that brings us to our final point, the psalmist's plan. Let's go back to our text in Psalm 119 to see the psalmist's plan to keep himself clean. And just to summarize, in verse 9, the question is asked, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It is concluded that the young man must cleanse his way by taking heed to God's word, by hiding God's word in his heart. And we establish that the duty of cleansing falls on the person. The young man must keep his way pure. So how does he do it? The psalmist comes up with a plan here to keep his way clean. And it's all centered on the word of God. The seed number one, he must receive. And that's in verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. We must have the attitudes of the Bereans who received the word with all readiness of mind. They search the scriptures, the Bible says, daily, daily. And we can receive the teaching of the word through daily devotions. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us through the study of his word, right? Amen. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And we also receive the teaching of God's word when it is preached to us. Allowing the word to cleanse us through preaching is one of the great benefits of the local New Testament church. It is also why we are thankful to have such a, a good pastor. Amen? He's led of God to give us messages that we need. They're always timely. And yes, there is cleansing through preaching, and we need to receive that teaching. That's why it's important to be faithful to the house of God. Amen? When the church doors are open, we should be here to receive that teaching from God's word. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So just like we wouldn't skip out on bathing, I mean, I started to use a, a, an example like that, because we want to be clean physically, we shouldn't skip out on church if we want to be clean spiritually. Amen? It's the same concept. The lost need to receive also the teaching of God's word for salvation, and that's in James one twenty one. The second part of that, that verse says, and receive with meekness, the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Then we see number two, he must repeat. Verse 13 of Psalm 119, it says, With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. So it's important that the young man communicates the word of God to others. And this is done through witnessing, through giving a one's testimony, or it could just be, you know, fellowshipping with the brethren and talking about spiritual things, sharing some thoughts on what God showed you in a certain verse. And I know Brother Coco was does that sometimes like he'll text me throughout the day and say look what you know i saw in god's word today i know he's studying uh uh, uh prophecy and you know he's you know doing his best to like you know to rightly divide the word and 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 see what god says in it my brother miguel sometimes will call me and we'll talk about spurgeon's morning devotional or something like that and say how it spoke to us and man you want to just talk about the word of god and, and repeat it it's also through testimony time it's good to testify how god spoke to us after a message Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. He must repeat. He must repeat. And then number three, we see he must rejoice. And that's in verse 14. Verse 14, it says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. 
the young man rejoices in the fact that he has the word of God. And look at how high a value he places on it, as much as in, as in all riches. Ask yourself this question. Ask myself this question. Do I place a higher value in material things than in the word of God? It shouldn't be that way. It should be as much as in all riches. The psalmist, when penning the psalm, think about this for a second. The psalmist, when he penned the psalm, most likely David, all he had was the first five book of Moses, right? Was that the, the Pentateuch? Maybe a couple uh, uh, of the of the prophets, but look at the, the value he placed on it. He still rejoiced in it and treated it like, like, like all riches. And here we are, we have the complete word of God in its entirety, and I'm not sure we put the same or the proper value on it. We should rejoice that we have the complete, preserved, inerrant, perfect word of God. Then four, we see he must reflect. He must reflect, and that's in verse 15. The Bible says, I will meditate in thy precepts. I have respect and have respect unto thy ways. So we see when we hide the word in our hearts or memorize scripture, it allows us to bring up the word at a later time to be able to reflect and to think about God's word. Meditation is constantly bringing, up, bringing it up in our hearts and breaking verses down and, and, and just dwelling on scripture. We should be meditating all the day long. Let's look at Psalm, Psalm 1, and this speaks of the blessed man. Psalm 1, verse 2, the Bible says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Reflecting or meditating on God's word most certainly helps with keeping our way clean. Let's go back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And let's look at verse 99. The Bible says, I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for thy testimonies, thy testimonies are my meditation. So meditating on God's word increases our understanding, and we should be meditating on biblical doctrines. Paul told Timothy, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. He says then again in 1 Timothy 4.15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear... To all, So we need to know what we believe. Amen? And meditation is, is, is critical. It's, it's cementing what we believe in our hearts. It's, it's rooting and grounding ourselves in the faith. And if you're lost, you should be meditating on the promises of God concerning salvation. I mean, you could just take any of the key verses. You know them all. You probably know them more than anyone else out there. You should be taking them and you should be meditating on them throughout the day. Meditation will take your unbelief. It will take your unbelief and turn it until that little mustard seed of faith that you need to be saved, if you just meditate on it and think about it, these things throughout the day. Let's not, you know, fill our mind with the next thing, the next material thing, covetousness, amen, or, or what's on TV, what's going on in the world. If you're lost, it should be your, your main concern is, 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 is meditating on God's word and, and, and getting saved. Then we see number five, he must respect. And in verse 15 of Psalm 119, he says, I will meditate in thy precepts, and have respect unto thy ways. The psalmist has the utmost respect for the word of God. He holds it in the highest regard. The word of God should be revered. We should hold it dear. We should cherish it. Cherish it. Cherish, uh, cherish it. We should adore it. We should appreciate all of its teachings, and we should understand that this is the very word of Almighty God. Let's look in our Bibles to, to Job. Let's see what Job thought about the word of God. In Job 23, verse 12, 
Job 23, verse 12. We're almost done here. Job is... Job 23.12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more necessary than my food, than my necessary food. And wow, what a, what a statement by Job. No wonder why he was such a great man. He had such a, a, a respect for the word of God, and we should also. And then we see finally, number six, he must remember. Let's go back to our text in Psalm 119. In verse 16, the Bible says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. And we don't ever want to forget God's word or what he has done for, for us through, through Jesus Christ. Hence the need for memorization and, and for meditation. And the heart, our heart is the perfect place for storing God's word. Proverbs 3.1, he says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. We want to be so saturated with God's word, with the Bible, that when any issue arises, the first thing we remember is what does God's word say about this. Amen? In these final verses, 12 through 16, this is the psalmist's plan for purification and keeping the way clean. And no surprise, it's all surrounded on the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Amen? Let's pray.